When you look at this picture on the slide, what comes to your mind? I noticed the ominous clouds and the mountains underneath right away. But I thought about the ominous clouds first. Then I saw the road and it looks pristine to me. But then I thought about the ominous clouds. Is it gonna rain? Or could it be a huge gathering storm ready to burst forward? Some may think those clouds are not clouds at all, but rather smoke from a great fire. And while I am on the road, am I heading for that fire? Some may focus on the bright sun behind the appearance of the dark clouds. They see brightness, even though it is gloomy. They see hope for the future, even though the moment may appear frightening. In part, the letter of James teaches the brethren how to handle various storms and situations by considering the true son, God's son, as a proper focus, by being spiritually mature. Today's lesson is called James, what it's about. The three points are servant, scattered, and secure. So let's look at the first point, servant. Just so you know, I have some uh, readers out there that uh, I'll bring up the passage. So if somebody starts reading next to you and suddenly scares you, you know why. So uh, just be ready for that. So the first point is servant. There are a few men named James talked about in the New Testament. Which one wrote the letter? Could it be the Apostle James who was brother to the Apostle John? He was a fisherman by trade, but he was killed around 44 AD. If you recall, Acts chapter 12, verse 2. About the time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Another James was a different apostle. He was called James the son of Alphaeus in Mark chapter 3, verse 18. Now, if you look at Peter and Paul's writings, they usually or always declare that they are an apostle of Jesus Christ, so they declare their apostleship. Yet in this letter of James, no declaration of apostleship is declared. Another James is called James the Less, you see him written about briefly in Mark chapter 15, verse 40. And Mark chapter 16, verse 1 says this. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, late, earlier referred, referred to as the less, and Salome bought spices. There is not much known about him. Now, there was an apostle called Judas not Judas Iscariot, there was another apostle called Judas, Judas the son of James, Luke chapter 6, verse 16. But James, the brother of Jesus, is believed to be the writer of this letter. He was not an early disciple of Jesus. 
John chapter 7, verse 5 says, For not even his brothers believed in him. Later, he was considered like a pillar of the church, the church in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15, verse 13. And it is believed that this James, the brother of Jesus, was put to death around 62 A.D. And so you get an idea of when the epistle might have been written. Interestingly, James calls himself servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, James chapter 1, verse 1. In other words, he calls himself a slave of God and Jesus. We typically don't like that word, do we? So sometimes we like to make it sound easier by saying servant. But he's a slave of God and Jesus Christ. Do you consider yourself a slave? Well, James did for sure. Why? Well, there is humility in calling oneself a slave of God and Christ. There is humility there. Did James owe money and pray to God or Jesus and ask for money to fall from the sky to pay for his debt? And now he says, you paid it and I'm going to be your slave? No, that's kind of silly. That didn't happen. It was a choice he made to be a slave, to be a servant. It was voluntary. And it is a choice that all people must make. But those who place themselves under the Lordship of Christ, we do this willingly as a servant who seeks to be obedient. Have you ever thought about, I'm going to be in Christ, but I have no wish to be obedient? Well, that would not make sense, would it? We don't come to the point of immersion thinking, hmm, Nah, I'm not going to do anything. Those people generally won't come to immersion. Moses was called a servant. You might remember this from our studies in Hebrews. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5. The Greek word concerning Moses is different than the word James used in James 1.1 when he calls himself a slave or a servant. It is not the same word. Moses was given by God great responsibility, and the Hebrew writer uses a word to explain that Moses was like a servant who was above all other servants in the household. He was the one in charge, similar like Joseph would have been. Uh, under Potiphar's house and at various places. He was the... Everything was allowed for him to do except Potiphar's wife, right? He had that much authority as a servant. That's the type of servant Moses is, declaring God's ways at Mount Sinai. He was a special servant, and I doubt Moses called himself that servant, but the Hebrew writer declares him that kind of servant. But even as great as servant as he was, he couldn't compare in context with Hebrews 3 to the son who was over God's house. No way to compare. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. 
Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. Now, James doesn't classify him the same type of servant as Moses was classified in the Hebrew writing. And he didn't consider himself, and Moses didn't either, equal with Christ and God. I think sometimes people today who call themselves servants of God sometimes go, hmm, scoot over and let me sit on the throne. That's not what a servant or a slave does, does it? Who tries to usurp God's place? No, a servant, a slave, is under someone. We are God's servant, Christ's servant. James considered himself that way. But his servant's servanthood was of an obedient servanthood. He was a good servant, a good slave. It was not forced on him. He chose to be a servant. He chose to be a willing participant as a slave of God and Christ. Now, if you choose that, how is your outlook going to be when it comes to following God's will? In part, that's what James is asking everybody. How do you deal with those situations in life that you don't understand? Well, if you are a slave of God and Christ or a servant of God and Christ, where are you going to put your focus? If you are a doubter or double-minded, you might have your focus a little bit wishy-washy. Do I choose Christ today or myself? Or do I try to fix it all myself and not rely on God? Who is your main focus? The second point is scattered. And I think that's very interesting when it comes to the letter of James. Right away, he says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered. Well, that doesn't sound like we're talking about an exciting time. Scattering doesn't sound like it's an easy thing. It sounds like people are pushed here and there. Well, if you're a servant or a slave who is scattered, does that mean your trust in the Lord should change? Does that mean you're going to take the throne right next to God and push him out of the way and do your own thing? Or are you going to rely on God continually as a servant who is scattered? It is a challenge. Israel's sons, that is, uh, were 12 in number. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Gad, Dan, Asher, Naphtali, Joseph, and Benjamin. We see their names listed in Genesis 49. And the idea of the 12 tribes, which is also part of this verse, the idea of the 12 tribes is represented by the original sons. The actual sons. In other words, this phrase, the 12 tribes, speaks of the literal nation of Israel. Now we've got to think of it in the right context, though, don't we? A Christian letter written to Christians, but it's to the Jews who are not Christians. That doesn't make sense, does it? No, it doesn't. Now is James speaking to the literal Israel when he speaks of those scattered? 
Not only did the phrase 12 tribes have a specific meaning for the Jews, which gives the idea that this letter was written heavily to Jewish Christians, Christians with an understanding of the Jewish background. Using that phrase, 12 tribes, had a specific meaning to people who come from a background of Judaism. It also could be understood like we do today who are Gentiles because we gain the understanding and knowledge. What are the 12 tribes? Christians, though, with the Jewish background, use this phrase as a reference to Christians, not to the literal Jewish nation. The true spiritual, not the earthly, Israel. So it becomes a figurative concept. Not our literal 12 tribes, for I am not descended from, as far as I know, any of the 12 tribes. But I think, and I know this letter is written to me. This figurative concept is nothing new in Scripture. Yes, there was an Israel. And at times there were two distinct nations, Israel and Judah. But not everyone was physically born a Jew who lived as a true Israelite. Can you recall your Old Testament studies? Just because you're a Jew, what is God looking for? The true Israelite, one who is true in heart and mind, not just physical. Sometimes for then, being called an Israelite was a more positive spiritual reference for someone who was truly following God. So Christians can be referred to as spiritual Israel. If we follow Christ, here comes my first reading. I think Justin has it. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the, the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them upon their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the context of Hebrews speaks specifically of Christians. It's talking about the new covenant there that's coming in Hebrews chapter 8. Or that came, I should say. We are not a people of this world, are we? We are not supposed to be a people whose God is the environment. Whose God is animals. Whose God is this world. And whose God is social equality. We are a people scattered, as James talks about. Now, this can literally mean we are away from home. As our kids grow up, they're scattered. They go. They go away. Perhaps everyone in our family is living in a different direction. We can be scattered that way. But the true spiritual Israel are scattered. Like the 12 tribes who have dis were dispersed because of persecution long ago. But even if a Christian was born and reared and died in one geographic location, guess what? 
he is still scattered. Why? Because this world is not our home. You can grow up here, die here, live here, and have all your grandkids here, but you have the mentality as a Christian that you are a people who are still scattered because this world is not our home. As Peter said, Beloved, I urge you, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. The flesh, the world, the things that can take you away from God. Christians are just passing through and looking forward to their spiritual home. But there are some who have been dispersed physically. Not only is there an understanding that we are not of this physical world, there is a literal dispersion and scattering. And those early Christians did go through that. Specifically, even those early Jewish Christians who left Jerusalem. They were physically scattered abroad. It has happened before in the Jewish nation. Remember their time during the captivity? What happened? They were sent to Babylon. They were sent to Assyria. They were, they were scattered away from home. It was not a fun experience. But those who focused on God during that time properly, what happened? They grew in their trust. They grew in their faith in God. They waited for the prophecy of the 80 years to come, right? Before God said they can return. They didn't remain demoralized. They, they, even though they were in captivity and they were dispersed and they were sent away from the temple and everything, they kept their faith in God, some of them. Dispersed physically, but their mind was on God the whole time. Daniel is a great example. Christian people in the first century suffered dispersion as well, even from persecution. According to Acts, when persecution broke out in Jerusalem, all except the apostles were scattered. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. See, God's elect became strangers in the world when they were scattered. You ever thought about that when you choose to follow Christ? What have you just said to the world? I'm done with you. I'm done. I am scattered from the world. And I speak world in the ways of the flesh, the things that are opposed to God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and a Bithynia, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. They were spread out. They were pushed out. Persecution scattered them. Their choice in life scattered them. Their decision to follow God except the world scattered them from the world. We, like James, have chosen from our own free will, a 
think that was brought up in class today. To be a servant of God and Jesus Christ. We have chosen to be a slave of God and Jesus Christ. We have chosen to separate ourselves from the world. We are among the nations, and I speak the, the vastness of Christianity, are among the nations. Now let's learn how we can serve God properly by also studying James. And James hits on some interesting subjects, doesn't he? Mainly, Christian maturity. How do you live this life as a proper servant of God? The third point is secure. Are you secure in God and Christ? Are you secure? Or do you feel like a box with a lot of holes that you just, just spread out and fall out? Choosing not to be secure, but to be unsecure. Are you secure in God and Christ? Are you a willing servant who seeks Christian maturity. That doesn't come easy, as we learned about in class. We could, have a, we could have said a big chunk of that class, Dallas, is about Christian maturity, how to deal with those temptations and how to deal with those trials, how to keep our focus on the one who we serve rather than serving ourselves. Reading through James, you can see many examples, though, of immaturity. <laughs> I think those are great examples for us to learn from because we are, and they were, immature. And growth takes time and help. But with a dedicated study and actionable desire to increase your maturity, I don't think it happens by accident. God's willing to help you, you, but you could turn away. That doesn't help you grow, does it? God's willing to give you opportunities to learn from. We should take those opportunities and see them as opportunities. It's like a mind change. Do I look at the difficulties as and continue to as... Uh, God doesn't love me? Or do I look at them and say, how does God want me to grow from this? Are you ready to unite belief in behavior? Whew. It is one thing to have a belief in God and Christ, but if that belief is not backed up by godly action, how can you deal with the challenges of the world in which we are scattered? The teaching of God must be put into practice. Ouch. So the question goes back to the idea, who do you serve? You chose to serve God and Christ, but do you continue that serving? Is he still on the throne or have you pushed him aside a little bit? Or completely off his throne as a matter of your life and your course and what you want?
The teachings of God must be put into practice. Now, there are various themes in James, and I have some readers who are going to help me out. There's a theme about a call to maturity. James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Who has that? Another theme is patience and endurance during difficult times. We hit on that. Hebrews chapter 12 is a, is a very powerful spot when you're dealing with that. A third theme is wisdom. James chapter 1 verse 5, please. Another theme is prayer. James chapter 4, 2 through 3. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. There's a fifth theme uh, that I have is treatment of the rich and poor. And another theme is the use of the tongue. Who's mastered that one yet? I don't see any hands. Okay, so we have a reason to go in the letter of James, if not for understanding how to be a mature Christian in just the use of the tongue. But it takes work, doesn't it? It takes work on our part. And, and God's going to supply the opportunities for that work. Are you going to be that good servant and slave who are scattered that's going to put in the work? We need patience and suffering. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Trials are those external things in life that happen to us. And James says there are various trials. But should those trials bring us to a breaking point between us and God? Isn't that part of what's being asked? If when under trial, are you going to break from God? Or are you going to stick to Him? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete or mature, lacking in nothing. James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Will you remain secure in your relationship with God? In Christ, I am sure there are a lot of people, myself included, godly people also, who have uttered, Why, God? Why? That's not a bad question. Their trial, most likely, though, did not go away. But endurance to go through the trial is needed. Endurance is needed, another key catchword in Hebrews. This endurance leads to something, even Christian maturity. Will you allow God to be your God? Will you, or will you, will you buckle and struggle? Perhaps by buckling and struggling at first, you will learn the true security you have in God and Christ because you are working through the situation and not giving up on God 
The Hebrew writer says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is testing you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? And discipline does not mean God just loves watching you in pain and suffering. And he's going to bow breach you and beat you on the behind. It means to teach and to grow. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Hebrews chapter 12, 7 through 8. Remember, James starts out by saying he is a servant or a slave of God in Christ. He is not a servant or a slave because it was forced on him. He became a servant an obedient servant willingly and willingly allowing trials and ultimate trust in God to grow towards Christian maturity. So as we sum up today's sermon, James, what it's about was kind of an introductory. So take it in that way. Servant, James was a willing and obedient servant. Are you a willing and obedient servant? Scattered. Do you recognize this world is not your home? Then you probably recognize it's not going to go your way. Secure. Are you secure knowing God? And following him in times of trials? Pray. Talk to him. Study. 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 Get to know God. Turn to him when things are rough. Turn to him. Plead, ask why. But then recognize, even though you're going through trials... God is still in charge. And He wants you to trust Him regardless of what the difficulties you have. And by doing so, you will grow. You will grow in Christian maturity. Ask our older folks here. It's a continual growth. It's a continual growth. If there's anybody here who has any needs this morning, prayer requests or 